Um, I sit downstairs in this chair while I teach, and the kids are usually around me. Where's, uh, where's Teddy? Teddy's usually up front, and I'll be preaching, or, you know, teaching, and I'll say something wrong, and I see Teddy go. What, Teddy? And Teddy has to correct me. So I don't know, where's Teddy? He's upstairs, or he's up in the youth booth. So I don't know if you noticed, we had teens, they're all out in the doors over there laughing and smiling at me. We have teens that are uh, greeting people in the lobby. We have teens up here that were leading worship. We have teens up in the tech booth and teens that read scripture, and that's great, right? We love our teens. We love our kids. So it, it might make me more comfortable if we could all go downstairs into the youth room. I don't know if that's possible, but... Uh, we could try. Um, today, we're going, to be, we're going to be continuing in Ephesians. Um, we've, been, we've had six weeks, I think, of working our way through the first three chapters of Ephesians. And today, we're going to be in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And if we can put that up on the screen, that would be great. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of, of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're just so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for Paul. And uh, we thank you for the lessons here in Ephesians, Father. Um, I just pray that you give us ears to hear your word. You open our hearts to your message, Lord, and you help me to deliver it. In Jesus' name, amen. My voice is already going. I'm nervous, sorry. Pray for me. <laughs> um, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, we really see what God has done in our lives. God has granted us some amazing gifts. He's given us some amazing blessings. He's done so much in our lives. If we just look backwards toward chapter 1, we can see that he chose us before the foundation of the world, right? We weren't an afterthought. We were God's first thought. We weren't a mistake. We weren't an accident, right? He chose us before the foundation of the world. He calls us to be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ. Incredible blessings, amen? Amen. He redeemed us through his blood. He forgives us. And I love this verse, according to the riches of his grace. How rich is our God? Unimaginably rich. Right? And, he, and he calls us um, through the riches, he, he, he forgives us according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes upon us. Right? What does it look like to have God lavish something upon you? I mean, God must be the most incredible lavisher ever. Right? And we're going to have, hopefully we're going to show a video later that hopefully can depict that a little bit, what that might look like. He does all these amazing things. And that goes throughout the first three chapters of Ephesians. But then the, the next three chapters of Ephesians is our response to what God has already done, right? God moves first. God loves us. He chooses us. He predestines us. Well, then what? We have a response, right? Are we saved by our response? No, we're saved by what God has already done in our lives, right? By sending Christ to the cross. But we should have a response. And we're going to talk about that today. Um, these verses go from doctrine to duty, from principle to practice. And then we have to respond. We don't have to, but we should respond. In chapters 2 and 3, um, we see that Paul uh, talks about himself in Christ. In, in chapter 3, he says, I'm a prisoner in Christ. 
But in chapter 4, he says, he starts off, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. If we can just have 4-1 up, maybe, that would be great. Do we have that? If not, we can do the whole thing, okay? 4-1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right, we know at this time that Paul is a prisoner. He's a prisoner in Rome, right? But I don't really think that's what he's talking about. He could be talking about being a prisoner because being a Christian can be costly. It can be difficult to be, to be a Christian, okay? But I think that Paul lives in a spiritual world and he lives in a physical world. Physically, he's in Rome, but he's also living in a spiritual world. He's in Christ, right? He's in a different location. And I think we're called to, to be the same thing, to live in the same way that we have a physical place and then a spiritual place. And I think in my life, I've lived in my physical world a lot more, I think, than I should have and a lot less than in my spiritual world. Paul's the opposite of that. In youth ministry, we call, or in youth group, we call Paul the Indiana Jones of ministry, okay? Paul is an amazing guy. He is a, he's a, a risk taker, right? Wherever he goes, either he brings revival or riot. And in Ephesus, he brought both right? He's an amazing guy. If we can just jump to uh, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28. Are they servants of Christ? Well, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. They believed that if you were lashed 40 times, you would die, so they would only do it 39 times. That's very merciful of them, <laughs> right? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, the Jews, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night, and in hunger and thirst, and without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul's physical world is an absolute disaster, right? I mean, who can endure that? Who would be able to endure that physically, right? But then who is, what is he anxious for? In his spiritual world, he's anxious for his churches, it's this incredible other place that he lives in. That's where his focus is. What would your letter look like from prison? <laughs> you know, oh, the food's terrible. What am I doing here? I was, I'm, I'm not guilty. He's concerned about his churches. He's living in this, in this spiritual place. He's an amazing, amazing person, right? But Saul was not always this hero of the Bible, was he? Or Paul was not always this hero of the Bible. Have I been calling him Saul? Okay, good. <laughs> Paul was not always this hero of the Bible, right? Chris Rowley spoke a couple weeks ago, and he told us that Saul was a terrorist. That's how he described him. He started describing him as, a, as an international student from Turkey, right, which is where, where he was from, that he's persecuting and hunting down Christians and murdering them, right? In today's world, we're like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. But this is what Saul was doing, right? He was a terrorist. In, cha in Acts chapter 8, we see that he stood approvingly while they stoned the apostle Stephen to death. In Acts chapter 9, he's breathing threats and murder toward the believers of the way, toward the early church, toward the Christians. He was feared and he was hated. He was a terrorist, 
He hunted down anyone who believed in his enemy, Jesus of Nazareth. But in Ephesians 2.4, I know we don't have this verse on the, on the, on the wall, there's, there's two words there. I love it when there's a one word or two words in the Bible that just whack you right in the head. They can just turn your point of view. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? There can be just one word that turns you on a dime. And here there's two, and it's but God. <laughs> but God. I'm getting choked up because two people <clears throat> walked into service this morning, and they're the two people that led me to the Lord about 35 years ago. <laughs> I had this under control before I saw him, I really did. <laughs> Bernie and Joan, are you here? Where are you? I was like, why did you come? <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> I had it. I was okay. I was a menace, but God put them in my life. Amen? <laughs> I can't even see. Uh, but God, I was blind, but God healed me, and now I can see. I was dead. But God called me out of the tomb, and now I live. I was an addict, but God had grace and mercy on me. And now I'm a minister. I minister to the people who are in addictions. Right? Teddy Duremo says that your greatest hurt can become your greatest ministry. So true, amen? And here we see that I was a terrorist, but God met me on the road to Damascus, and now I'm an apostle. What a but God moment, right? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. His whole life is flipped upside down. Everything that was right is wrong. Everything he thought he was doing to accomplish something was destroying everything. Flips him upside down. But God, he was blinded by the light. But I submit to you that for the first time in his life, he actually saw because of that light. He actually heard. He heard the voice of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not only does God forgive him, but he calls him to be his chosen instrument. What a great God we serve. But God, unbelievable. And Paul doesn't just hang around. He's Indiana Jones. He's up and at it. He gets baptized. And immediately, once he's saved, he's in the, temp in the synagogues preaching Jesus. Immediately. And that's his response to what God has done in his life. And that's what he calls us to here, I think, in Ephesians 4. And all who heard him were amazed. The commitment that he had, the boldness. Wasn't this that guy? Wasn't this Saul of Tarsus? They couldn't believe it. How is this possible? What a great testimony. And we have some great testimonies in the church here today, I'm sure, that we were something before who I was before Christ, and then we have our but God moment, and then it's who I was after Christ. Right? We have some drastic tests, some 180 degree turns. So many ministries are called turning point, right? Or pivot house. That's that but God moment. And Saul sees it here. He lives it. Saul was forgiven of much. I think his great, incredible commitment to serve God was based on the level of forgiveness that he felt that he received from God. But we've all been forgiven for so much, right? I know I have. His response is, I am a prisoner for the Lord. I am your captive. 
You own me. I will follow you anywhere. I'm a captive of my faith. We're going to watch a clip from a movie that we watch in youth group. It's called The Count of Monte Cristo. Okay, this is a great, great movie. You might recognize the, the lead character here from another great movie. In this scene, we've seen a man they're calling Zatara. His real name is Edmund. He's an innocent man who is um, convicted for treason, put in jail, life sentence, solitary confinement. He's put there by the witness of his jealous best friend. Right? And he spends 11 years in solitary confinement where it's just a terrible conditions. I mean, he's beaten, terrible, terrible conditions. But a priest, but God, <laughs> but a priest is also in prison there, and secretly he meets with Edmund, and he teaches him about his faith. He teaches him, he teaches him language and economics, history, tactics, and he teaches him how to use weaponry, how to, how to be a swordsman. At that day and age, you had to be a swordsman or else you could be taken advantage of. And we see him here after the priest helps free him from the prison. He washes ashore on a beach, and he's held, held captive by some pirates. So, mi amici, I would ask who you are, but in view of your shredded clothes and the fact that the Chateau d'If is two miles away, what's the point? As for me, I am Luigi Vampa, a smuggler and a thief. My men and I have come to this island to bury alive one of our number who attempted to keep some stolen gold for himself instead of sharing it with his comrades. Interestingly enough, there are some of his more loyal friends who are insisting that I grant him mercy. Which of course I cannot do, or I will quickly lose control of the old crew. That's why you are such a fortunate find. Why is that? You provide me with a way to show a little mercy to Jacopo, that maggot you see tied up over there, while at the same time not appearing weak. And as a special treat, the lads will get to see a little sport as well. How do I accomplish all this? We watch you and Jacopo fight to the death. If Jacopo wins, we welcome him back to the crew. If you win, I have given Jacopo the chance to live, even if he did not take advantage of it, and you can take his place on the boat. What if I win and I don't want to be a smuggler? Then we slit your throat and we're a bit short-handed. I find smuggling is the life for me and would be delighted to kill your friend the maggot. Oh, uh, by the way, Jacobo is the best knife fighter I've ever seen. Perhaps you should get out more. <laughs> Release Jacobo and give him back his knife. Then we let the games begin. <laughs> to live. He's already suffered enough with the prospect of being buried alive. Men that wanted to see some sport have seen it. Those who wanted mercy for Jacopo will get it. And by keeping me in Jacopo, you will have yet another skilled sailor and fighter for your crew. It's a deal. What is his name? 
His name? We should call him Zatara. Sounds fearsome. It means driftwood. <laughs> I swear my dead relatives, even on the ones that are not feeling too good. I am your man forever. I know. I am your man forever. What a great response, right? For his life being spared, I am your man forever. And this is Paul's response here. I am a prisoner for the Lord. You've spared my life. You've chosen me. You've called me. I am your prisoner. We're together, right? If we continue here, um, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Can we have the verse back up, please? I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the, of the calling to which you have been called, right? So how have we been called? We read it in chapter 1 already, right? We've been, we've been called, we've been chosen before the foundation of the world. We've been set apart. We've been, we've been called to be holy and blameless. We've been predestined for adoption into God's family, to come into his household, right? Um, in Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed. We've been forgiven according to the riches of his grace, right? We have an incredible calling. We're the only people that have that calling, right? We have been called. Um, when I look at that verse, you know, it's just to walk worthy in a way. To walk actually means to live, right? We all see that. Live your life in a certain way. I've lived my life in a lot of different ways. When that couple that's sitting here today <laughs> knew me, Before I knew the Lord, I was a menace. You know, I was a little maniac. I really was. I walked according to my rules, my goals, my agenda, my timing. I walked in a way that suited myself, right? I didn't understand how I should walk at the point. When Kathy and I, uh, after we both had been saved, when we had kids, whenever they would go anywhere, if they went out with friends, with other people, we would tell them, remember who you are right? Remember who you are. You're our children. You have a responsibility. You're the, you're the son or the daughter of, of Skip and Kathy Garofalo. And then we would say, remember whose you are. And what that meant was you're a child of God, that you have a greater responsibility, not just the responsibility to, to, have a, to, to you know, live your life in a way that brings respect to our family, but that glorifies God, right? And that was, <laughs> they lived up to it. They really did. You know, they were great kids. Unbelievable. Not perfect, of course, right? Our response to chapter 1 through 3 is to walk worthy of our calling, right? Walk worthy of our calling. Paul uses the word urge here. I urge you. I don't think that this is a plea. This is not an ask. It's not a please, oh, please walk worthy. I think it's a battle cry. Paul says, I urge you to move on, to move forward in this way, right? I, while I was kind of just writing this, I realized that urge is part of urgent, which suits Paul, right? I mean, Paul, as soon as he's saved, he's immediately preaching the gospel in the synagogues, right? I urge it. Don't put this off. You don't need to be 100% prepared. You don't need to be studying the word for years. We have the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? The whole, let the Holy Spirit speak through you. 
It's urgent. Let's go. It's today. This is a brave heart moment. Let's move forward. Humility and gentleness. Um, I, I, we're on to verse 2 here. With all humil- humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility and gentleness were not really virtues that were held in high regard in, Ephes- in, uh, in Ephesus at this time in the first century. Right? It was kind of a, a fast-paced, cutthroat, dog-eat-dog kind of place. Right? If you uh, let the buyer beware... Right? You needed to be on your toes. You need to be able to talk fast, move quick. Humility and gentleness really didn't work with that culture. I'm not sure how well they work today in our 21st century world. Right? We see some, I watch some shows on TV, some of these reality shows. The humility and gentleness that people have, it doesn't exist. It's crazy. We started watching a show called, Nina, what was it called? Outlast. Right? We had been watching alone. It's like the survival show. It was great. We loved it. Turned it on to some other people. We started watching the show Outlast. The people were so treacherous and evil to each other. It was unbelievable. It's all about self-promotion, self-gain. Terrible. I can't even watch sports today. Guys make a, a routine play, and they're you know, jumping up and down and flaunting and taunting. and It's, it's gross. It's, I really struggle to watch it. When we're humble and gentle, I think we stand out. It's a great, in great contrast to what's around us in this world, and I think the same thing was true in Ephesus in the first century. There's nothing new under the sun, right? It's been the same thing for thousands of years. Humility, the word used for humility really here is lowliness, and it's, it's, it's commanded to us in the first beatitude, right? Humility does not mean to think less of yourself. It just means to think of yourself less. Right? We shouldn't walk around with our heads down saying, I'm nothing, I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy, I can't do anything. We're not worthy. We're not. But through Jesus Christ, we are. Right? It's, don't think of yourself less because we have been called to be sons and daughters of God. But, to think of your, but to think, don't think less of yourself, but think of yourself less. Put others first. Amen? Whenever I get prideful, and it's happened several times in my life, God, God thankfully corrects me. He has guardrails he's put up in my life. You know, when I was younger, they were, you know, big Jersey barriers. Now they're little curbs, right? Thank God, okay? But I keep getting all, you know, I'm all over the road. I'm a menace, and I'm into a guardrail that God has put to keep me back in play. Thank God. Every time I've been prideful, he brings me back in. Pride comes before the fall, and I've had a couple falls in my life. I really have. And God was there, even at the worst of it, right? Why do bad things happen? Well, you were driving your car at 100 miles an hour at the guardrail. You know, you do stupid things. You, you live pridefully, and bad things happen. In the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is, is blessed with an incredible, incredible empire, and one day he walks up onto his roof, and he says, look at what my hands have created. <laughs> and immediately, it's gone. God, take, God takes it from him. Until he comes back to God with forgiveness right, with humility, and he gives glory to God, and he's reinstated everything, right? We, we, we serve a great God. Nebuchadnezzar got put in timeout. The apostle Saul here gets put in a timeout, right? Or not the apostle Saul, but Saul, from, Saul of Tarsus, he gets put in a timeout. Thank God for it. That's his buck God moment. That's his turning point. We need those things in our lives. A verse that really sticks, sticks out for me here is that pride lurks behind every discord, and I think in this verse, this verse that's seeking unity, when we look at, um, well, later we're going to be looking at humi- uh, unity in the next verse, 
this, I think pride lurks behind every discord, really, really brings home a point, right? That pride destroys unity, right? Gentleness, gentleness, I think, is a product of humility. Gentleness does not equal weakness. Jesus was gentle, and he was anything but weak, right? The strength that it took for him to go to the cross willingly and allow himself to be nailed to the cross and crucified. The word excruciate comes from the word crucify, that he suffered the worst possible death on our behalf and didn't raise a finger. That is strength. That is not gentleness. I mean, that is not weakness. Gentleness is strength-tempered, and that's who Jesus is. The Greek word here used is more like obedient, and Jesus was obedient to his Father. Um, it's more like being a domesticated animal, and Jesus was led to the cross like a lamb, right, for slaughter. Paul calls the Ephesians here to not to be the wolves that they've been raised up as, but to be more like golden retrievers, right? And two great examples of that are the Apostle Paul and Jesus. With patience. Patience is long-suffering, bearing with one another, to persevere. Again, this is Jesus. Jesus was patient with his disciples. He spent three years with them, and they were still arguing over some of the silliest things. Who's going to be your right hand? Who's going to be first in heaven? When they go to Jesus' tomb, they're racing to get to the tomb. One brags that he passes the other. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Jesus was patient with them, right? He knew that they were under construction. And thank God he's patient with us as believers. He's patient with me. And he's patient with unbelievers. He's long-suffering even today on their behalf, holding back the end of days. Amen? Amen. Hope I don't start crying again. We can be blindly patient with ourselves, but we can be so tough on others, can't we? Right? Sometimes the things that I see that I hate in myself, if I see it in other people, that kills my patience for that person. <laughs> Anybody relate to that? Right? In my kids, those are the things that drove me the most crazy. Walter, my adopted son, he's not even my blood. He's just like me. I mean, he, he's physically built like me. He acts like me. does all the weird, stupid things that I do. It drives me crazy. I have very little patience for him, you know? It's, it's amazing. I do thank God, you know, and I love him to death, but you, you know where I'm going, right? Um, in, John, in John 13, I guess we're on to in love. Um, when we love each other, it helps us to be patient, right? When we love each other, it helps us to be humble. And when we love each other, it helps us to be gentle. All of these characteristics are wrapped up like a little love sandwich here, right, with wrapping paper. It just touches every part of, of that whole scripture, Right? Love is the key that holds that together. In John 13, it says that, By all this, men will know that you are my disciples. Love one another. Right? That love helps us to stand out in our community here, and that love helps us, will helps, uh, help the, the, the church in Ephesus to stand out, and it bonds us together. Let's love each other. Verse 3, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I think unity comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is all about unity, right? We serve a triune God, right? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a community. It's, it's unified. It's one. It's three but one. It's one of the mysteries of our faith, right? Um, we don't need to, to, to create this unity. We just need to maintain it. The unity is already there. Don't wreck it. Don't destroy it. Don't be doing things that are all about you, right? Don't let, your, don't let our desire to be noticed 
or to be significant, destroy our unity. When I was a young coach, um, the first year that I coached, I think that, you know, I was a little full of myself and I was probably pretty prideful. I was a Division I wrestler and I show up at this little high school, they didn't really have a team and I'm beating everybody up and, you know, causing havoc and wanted the other coaches to know that I was, you know, a good coach and all that. It was all about me. And I had kind of an epiphany one day and, and I started, I changed my, my routine coming into the wrestling room. Every time I came into the room, every time I came into that practice area, I would say to myself, why are you, why are you here? <laughs> why are you here? I can only accomplish what I can accomplish by knowing why I'm there. If I don't know why I'm there, I'm going to go and accomplish something differently, right? Why are you here? And my answer was to develop young men. It wasn't to glorify myself, right? It wasn't to do these other things. It was to develop young men. And, and my actions started to follow that. And then we started to get different results and good results. And the, and the question is, why are we here? Why are we here at church? Why do we come here? Do we come here to just be together? Do we come here to, to, to have, spend some nice time on a Sunday morning? Do we come for the, for the free brunch once a month? Do we come because we have friends here? Do we come because it's an ought, it's a box that we can check off our list for the week? I pray that we come here to glorify God, right? And we can only do that through, through unity, right? As one group, one body, patient, loving, caring, humble with each other. Amen? Amen. Let's work toward that goal. You know, you look, at, you look at a lot of these teams that are kind of all-star teams. The Yankees are kind of an all-star team, right? How they doing? <laughs> Not too good, right? Uh, in, in 2021, we sent an all-star team to the Olympics where they had all the best players, right? They all could shoot from three points. You know, they all wanted the ball. They wanted to put it through the hoop. They got beat by France. <laughs> I didn't know they played basketball in France. You know, I don't know, right? They got beat by France. Right? Who's the greatest basketball team of all time? The greatest player? Any guesses? Anybody? Everybody says Michael Jordan. How come? Why Michael Jordan? He's got six rings. Michael Jordan's got six rings. It's crazy, right? Well, how about Bill Russell? Bill Russell played for the Boston Celtics in the 50s and the 60s. They won the championship 11 of 13 years. He has 11 rings. It's crazy. And he didn't do it by being the best guy in the court. He, he did it by being a leader and by developing unity. He had an infectious laugh. Sometimes it doesn't take much to develop unity. He had this incredibly infectious laugh. And everybody respected him. And he was a gentle, humble, God-fearing man. 11 rings out of 13 years. In my book, he's the best player ever. Right? He's not on any of those lists. He's like 10th on those lists. They're looking at the wrong things. Right? God sees what we don't see. This verse starts off with eager. Right? And I was trying to think of a way to describe eager, and the first thing that came to mind is uh, I walked into a gym, I was probably 18, 19 years old, and there's this beautiful girl working out over on the other side of the gym. I don't remember what she was doing, but I went over, and I was really shy, and I, I knew I couldn't talk to her, I couldn't say hi, but I would position myself while I was working out in ways that she could see me working out. Right? I mean, I, got, I actually got in good shape, not because I was there to really get in good shape. I got in good shape because I had to because she was watching me work out. Right? I mean, I'm breaking Olympic and world records. You know, I'm tearing muscles off a bone, trying to get noticed. It was crazy. Right? Years later, this is, this is my wife, Kathy, so this is how I can say this. Years later, she confessed to me that she never had her glasses on. She didn't even know I was there. I mean, <laughs> this, this went on for three months. This is the summer of my freshman year in college. You know, and then seven years later, 
right? Seven years later, I go to another gym, and there's this beautiful girl again. And she's on this stair climber. And I'm like, oh, a stair climber. Why, you know, like Indiana Jones, why is it anything but a stair climber, right? I don't want to go on that thing. But I'd get on the stair climber next to her. I didn't want to do cardio. I didn't care. I just wanted to, you know, wanted big biceps. You know, how am I going to get big biceps here? And I get on the stair climber, and I'm going, I'm going, and she's going, and she's going. I was eager to be on that climber because I wanted to have that relationship with her. I wanted to spend time with her. I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to get to know her, and I wanted her to get to know me. Right? And the next day, I can't even walk, you know? I mean, my legs are killing me. I have four knee surgeries now, you know, since then, right? It was crazy. But I was eager to be on that climber, and I did it with a good attitude. God calls us, or Paul calls us here to be eager, right? Jump into it. Let's go do it. It may not be the first thing that you want to do, right? But we're here to glorify God. Let's do it with eagerness. Let's do it with a good attitude. Amen? Amen. Um, we've, spoken, or we've spoken before while we're going through these first three chapters, uh, some of the other speakers that they told us that the Ephesians were two different groups. They were two separate groups. They just weren't separate. They were completely divided. They talked about this wall of separation between the two of them. There was, there's scripture, there's writings on that wall that says prosecutors, I'm sorry, trespassers won't be prosecuted. It says trespassers will be executed. I mean, they were for real right? They weren't just different. They were hated and they were hateful. They were diametrically opposed, these two groups. And God calls them together, right? God, God calls the impossible. He calls Saul to become Paul, right? He drags us out of, out of who we were before we knew Christ to who we are today. He accomplishes the impossible. And he, and he brings these two groups together as a new family into his household. He calls them to be his sons and daughters, heirs, in his kingdom, right? He doesn't want them all to be the same, but he, call, he, he creates them all different, all unique. He doesn't try to get the Jews to be more like the, the, the non-Jews, and he doesn't try to get the, the Gentiles to be more Jewish. They're still who they are, but they're tall together in one body, one union, one people. And here we have today, we keep saying that we have two churches here today, right? That we had our Spanish church, and then we had our, our, the original church was that, that was here. One group I submit to you today is not called to become more Anglo, and the other group is not called to be more Hispanic, but we're both called to be more like Christ. Amen? And I, I, have, to, I have to tell you, we love having you guys. We love having you as one body in Christ. Amen? Right. I, I spent 15 years in Guatemala, or not 15 years, but I've been to Guatemala 15 times, right? And I still can't speak Spanish. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on, right? It's embarrassing, okay? But we went all over the place, and we met all different kinds of people, people different from me. Right? I, I love Guatemala because people are small. I mean, I'm like Shaq in a lot of, a lot of places in Guatemala. It's crazy. Um, but completely different. They dress different, different cultural, different language, different customs, right? But every time I met a brother in Christ who literally believed the truths of the Bible, I, I knew that I had a brother, right? I knew that we were unified, that we had, one, we had our common ground so outweighed the other things. There was nothing else that mattered. Ah. Wow, we went through all that. We must have missed something, but that's okay. Okay? In 4, 4 through 6, we can start wrapping this up. There's one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Right? If we break that down and we look at that, there's one body, that's us. We're not two different churches anymore, right? We're one church, we're one body, not just in this room. We're one church, we're one body, right? People on the other side of the planet, people are being persecuted in other countries. We're all one body. One body and one spirit. The spirit is the Holy Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope, that one hope is Jesus Christ that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Paul's really stressing this one, this one God, one Father, right? In Ephesus at this time, people worshipped like 50 small G gods. They had gods for everything, gods of war, gods of love. In Ephesus, there was a temple to Artemis or Diana that was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was this amazing structure, this incredible structure. It wasn't built by government money. It wasn't built by one king putting up the money. It was built by donations from individuals. This permeated the culture in Ephesus. They, they practiced the occult. They worshipped idols. They were all over the place. They were seeking, but they were all over the place. And Paul comes to them and says, no, there is only one God. There is just one God. Okay? He calls them to that one God. One baptism, when Paul first gets to Ephesus, he sees that people are being baptized in the name of John the Baptist, right? And he says, no, we're going to be baptized through the Holy Spirit. There's one baptism. There's not a baptism through John and one through Jesus. It's only through Jesus Christ. Um, one over all, right? If we can notice that. There's one, and then there's all. Who is over all? When I talk to my wrestling team, I tell them, put all of your weight on your opponent all the time. All of your weight all the time. And then I say, how much is all? And they're so like, there's all. All is all. All my weight all the time. There shouldn't be a second where your weight's not on the guy. And this is all. One over all. From the micro to the macro. From the smallest particle or atom to the vastness of the universe. From the spiritual world to the physical world. The God that we serve and the God that we love is one over all. He has dominion over all of it. Amen? Amen. Bertie, you guys got me so choked up today. <laughs> all right, I'm going to queue up another video here, if we could. Still going youth group style. Um, in this video, Zatara and Jacobo, who were dead men, I mean, they both had a death sentence. Jacobo was going to die at the hands of the pirates. Zatara was going to die in that prison. They had death sentence, sentences. And they're hunting for this incredible treasure, this treasure of, of Sparta. Um, Sparta, sorry, this treasure of Sparta. It's this treasure of unimaginable wealth. And let's watch the video. <laughs>
Here we have two dead men, right? Two, de two men who have a life sentence for death, like we all do because of our sins, right? And instead they find this incredible treasure. And that's the book of Ephesians right there, right? That God has his glorious riches that he wants to lavish on us, this incredible treasure, right? And Jacobo, his gleeful response is just awesome, right? I mean, he's jumping up and down, he's whistling, he's gleeful over it. I need to live in that fact, in that I, I need to live that way over the facts of what the Bible says to us, right? To know that truth. Don't you understand? You are wealthier than any man that, ever, that I've ever heard of. Jeff Bezos is broke compared to you. And Zatara sits there with his scour on his face, right? Sometimes we can, we, in our heads, you know, we can understand, we can read this, Right? But it's got to get to our hearts that we have to really live act with other people and we look more like Zatara than Jacopo. Right? And that's me too, man. I do it. I'm, I'm deep in thought sometimes. I'm lost in my problems. He doesn't, you don't have a worry in the world. You have a life in eternity with the living God. God wants to lavish his riches on you. We need to walk worthy in a manner of our calling. And that's what it is. That should be our response. Sitting here today, you might believe that you're too far away from God, that you've done something that puts you on the outside of where God can reach, that you've, that you've committed some unforgivable sin or that you continue to sin, right? And I can tell you that you've got nothing on Saul of Tarsus. <laughs> Saul was so far away, and God reached him like that in his but God moment, Right? Or you might be sitting here today and you, and you tell yourself that, well, you know, I'm really not that bad. I know a lot of people that are worse than me. I'm not a murderer. I've never raped anybody. I've never done the big ones. Right? You may have broken every other commandment, but you haven't done the big ones. Okay? Any liars in here? Anyone? Any cheaters? Any steal anybody steal anything? You already told me you're a bunch of liars, so I can't even believe you. They probably all stole something. Okay? Right? We all need a savior. I have a friend of mine that I've talked to him about his salvation. <laughs> Known him for a long time. And he doesn't believe that he's lied, cheated, or stolen anything. Unbelievable. He has no need for a savior. I can tell you that Saul didn't think he needed Jesus either. <laughs> right? And yet he did. Right? And, and, he, and he was blessed by it, and God used him. God used him in a powerful way. You might be here today and you need a but God moment in your life. You have something terrible going on in your life and you're trying to break away from it or you're trying to get to a different place and I pray that you just get on your knees and you, and you call, call God into your, into your heart, into your life and you can experience that but God moment. He's waiting for you, right? He chooses us. He moves first. He loves us first. In youth group, we, we go through something called the four-second gospel. And I tell the kids, if you don't remember anything about what I say here today, please remember this. 
God loves us. We blow it. He paid the price for us, and all we have to do is accept it. It's the gospel broken down into its rawest form, right? God loves us, we blow it. He paid the price for us, and all we have to do is accept it. And if we look at that in view of Ephesians, it might look like this. God loves us, chapter 1. He calls us, he predestines us, he chooses us, he, call, he, he makes us holy, redeemed, saved. We blow it. Chapter 2, we are, we are children of wrath and sons of disobedience. Huh, right? And then Jesus paid the price for us, for all of us, Jew, Gentile, everybody, anyone on the planet, anyone who will come to him, he paid that price for them. For them. And all we have to do is accept it. We have to receive it, right? We have to put our hands out. It's a free gift. You don't stand there with a free gift and let it fall to the ground. Just put your hands out. Just receive it. And I pray that once we receive that, we're called into God's service, right? That then we're called into service. We're not saved by that service, but we're saved for that service, right? We're blessed by that service. Is Jeff Stopa here today? No? Jeff Stopa is a member of our church. Most of you guys know him. Years ago, the youth group used to have a free car wash here, and uh, people would come in and get their car washed for free. And we had 20, 30 kids out there with pressure washers and whatnot washing the cars. And we had a banner out front, and it said, this car wash is free, just like the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Right? And we wanted to wash people's cars, but really we wanted them to know that they were saved through the free gift from Jesus Christ. Right? Free for us, not free for him. Right? And Jeff Stopa had been going to church probably his whole life, and he came to that car wash, and for the first time in his life, he realized what his salvation was based on. He started coming to church here. Okay? I pray that we can respond to that free gift and say, I am your man forever. I am a prisoner for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm just thankful that you helped me to get through that without crying too much. And uh, just thankful for your word, Lord. I thank you for this letter to Ephesians. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who did everything for us. And he went to the cross and gave up his life for us. And I pray our response to that is to walk worthy in a manner in the way that you call us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.